Hey gearheads and welcome to GT Garage Talk, a discussion about all things automotive. I am your host Corey and today I've got something very special to you. First of all, there's a video component to this episode. So if you're watching this on YouTube, let me know what you think down in the comments below. Should I add a video element to my podcast here on the main channel? Uh, let me know absolutely in the comments. If you're listening audio only, you're definitely gonna wanna go check out the video feed of this one because I, I've got some fun excerpts uh, smished, smushed, inserted, put in, there we go. Yes, put in to the video content of this episode. There is so much fun that you will want to experience and see for yourself because this episode was an on-site interview. And not just any on-site interview, I actually found the good fortune to found my, find myself in Johnson Valley, California, at the home of the King of the Hammers founders, uh, residents just off of the BLM land there in Johnson Valley, California. Yes, I am talking about Dave Cole, the legendary co-founder of King of the Hammers, the CEO of Hammer King Productions. I was in his house, at his uh, property, staying in an RV in the middle of the desert and getting to experience Ultra 4 racers of varying degrees, V8 powered, electric powered, uh, getting to ride in the backseat of his Ford Centurion. So much fun stuff coming forward to you in this episode, including just the history and experience of the event itself, how I kind of feel like he is a modern day or a real life Dominic Toretto because this whole thing, all of it, King of the Hammers, started from wanting to spend time with family, with his son, and it just ballooned and blossomed from there. I kid you not, the humility of Dave Cole blew me away from my time out there, not only in my interview with him, but just experiencing time out there with other media members, uh, seeing how he went about his day, went about his uh, life out there, and then just to hear the story of how King of the Hammers started, how he views it today still as a hobby with, as he puts it, 80,000 members out there, spectators, viewers out there each and every January and February uh, experiencing the King of the Hammers race events because there are multiple and uh, a an event that has an economic impact in 2023 of three, $34.1 million. Yes, a $34.1 million economic impact is a hobby for Dave Cole. And with all of that aside, let's just jump right into it. Uh, I got to sit with him in his boardroom, in his house slash garage slash compound out in Johnson Valley, California. Dave Cole, uh, been doing King of the Hammers. This is 18 years now? Coming in 18 years this year. So where did you come from beforehand? What, how, what led you to here? Like, how do you go into just creating an epic off-road race event? Like, where does that come from? Well, I was, I, it wasn't even necessarily trying to make an epic off-road race. It was specifically this place. I liked this place. Yeah. I started, I uh, moved here to California in 99 from the East Coast. 
was always in off-roading and I don't really know why. And I ended up, and it's hard to be off-road in Jersey. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I ended up in California by choice to come out with GE Capital, working mortgage business type stuff. And um, I found the hammers and I just loved it here. And yeah. so the next, you know, the universe conspiring thing, I ended up getting divorced from my wife and my son was two years old and I didn't want to be the dad that was playing video games every weekend with my kid. So got a Toyota 4Runner so we could go on the trail every weekend. And we just started wheeling around like Arrowhead and Big Bear and everywhere in California I could wheel. And then right around 2000, or in 99 is when professional rock crawling or not even really professional, competition rock crawling started. Yeah. Um, and uh, by 2001, I got married out here. 2003, I was spotting and I was in rock crawling a lot. Built my first car in 2005. Won a world championship in 2006, and we're at Baja. No, in Vegas. We uh-huh. we rock. It was the uh, it was the uh, world world extreme rock crawling championships. They still they still compete, um, and they had a world championship. And um, it I think I got like I got I know I got 750 bucks. <laughs> I got I got my name misspelled in a magazine, and it's like, how does this? this how is... do you misspell David Cole? Like K O H L. Okay. <laughs> it's the only time. It's yeah. it's just the funny point. It was more like, it. There's, we need to find some way to make this more bigger. Yeah. Um, rock crawling, rock crawling, and I still my probably my most favorite thing to do. Still, I love traditional technical rock crawling. I just my super passion, but it's not. It's like watching golf it's not terribly it's cool to watch a championship but it's not terribly watch fun everyone so we need more excitement um i was doing we have been doing cleanups like like jamborees and 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 desert cleanups here already so i knew how to get a blm permit and know i needed to do that and so started king of the hammer to see if it would work it was first race was 12 people yeah and then then it was 50 and then it was 100 the third year 100 drivers and then that's when the it just started growing from there. Really, is there any like one thing you can attribute the explosion to? Was it getting a certain driver out that had tons of following, or was it? No, just... we were we were all. I mean, certainly. I mean, Jason Shearer just here, right? right? And Shannon Campbell was the the stud even then, yeah. right? But it wasn't. No one was coming for one particular driver. The reality is that. The drivers themselves, the following of each of them became so big that the one driver was coming with 200 people. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. And which is really how it had started. Like it just really kind of word of mouth exponentially grew from there because the like the once you got to like the second or third ring out of everybody's friendship circle, right? Then it was just starting to get weird. It's yeah. a, then it was just like I, I can tell you, it's the weirdest thing. Um, crazy story, but. I'll make it really fast. In 2012, I think, 2012, I went over, 11, 2011, I went over to Europe because we wanted to, so someone said we should do this in England. Yeah. So we had we had done it in England in 2010. In 2011, I went to meet some people in Portugal, Croatia, um, Germany, and Morocco to see where we could race at. And I got to Croatia, ended up in a bar in the DMZ zone, like a mile from Bosnia talking to a dude who spoke fluent English and knew every single driver in our series. Wow. He knew the colors of the cars. He knew everything. 
just from YouTube, just because in his hometown was the Croatia Trophy Challenge. That's like the European, like drive underwater kind of stuff. You ever seen that kind? Of, like they're they're, they're You can, I mean, the guys that snorkel, like the, there's a yeah. snorkel and they're driving underwater, they're winching up the side of a 20 foot cliff, that kind of stuff. Yeah. They're not, it's not ball. But I, I was there to touch it. So I'm, I'm talking to the guy in this guy's hometown, like yeah. basically. And, and, and he's, he's like, telling you all about your race. Well, he, so yeah, he's like, where are you from? I'm like, California. He's like, ah, oh, well, if you to see the trophy challenge and you're from California, you must know about King of the Hammers. I'm like, what? <laughs> it was. It was wonky, man. That was the moment that you that, knew. That, that's when things, yeah, it was weird. When you talk, yeah. when you got, because I, what I have, I've been fortunate that I've been able to literally now go off-roading pretty much everywhere on the planet, right? right? And everyone's the same. Like, and that's the thing. It's not just off-roading, though, either. It's just the reality is that when you go around the world, when you get past the whatever, I don't, do, you, do you travel a lot? You, yeah. tra you know what I'm talking about. Yeah. It's the concepts of what everybody thinks are and like what are and then you we're sit, all human yeah, yeah you so. sit down and they're, and they're like oh no no what about this oh yeah what about that wait. <laughs> and all of a sudden you're like whoa wait a minute yeah. and that same interaction happens in colombia and it happens in iceland and it happens in china it happens everywhere yeah. they just have different accents it's literally the, the only difference and and then when you get into when you get into whatever that as, as you get tighter into that, whatever your your focus is, right, off-roading or racing, mm -hmm. then, of course, the commonalities even get more extreme. But it's just, it's been a unifier thing. And, yeah, that was that was probably the first time I was like, this is nuts. So when did, like, manufacturers start seeing this as, okay, this, this is where we need to be? Like, Fox was here uh, testing their stuff. Ford has mention king of the hammers and bronco advertising now like the, it's becoming at, at first the jeep jeep started supporting us in like 2010 but it was more of a the more of a passion project for mm. a few people inside the thing and then, that's kind of how they operate there like yeah. uh we just were at the uh, reveal for the how many years 20 anniversary of the rubicon and hearing the story of the original ragtag group that Scott Bloom and yeah. Tony Cavallo and yeah. those guys, yeah, yep, so, um, and sure more. I'm not limiting it, yeah. but yeah, there was a group that was yep, and but it's a very similar story inside of Bron inside of Ford. For, yeah. for the there really was a Bronco Underground. Yeah, there really was a group of employees that kept meeting, going, "We're going to figure out a way to get this project back going again." And then yeah, the when the first met the first real met the manufacturer that truly truly engaged was ford in that way they I mean they came and they straight up asked us what, what how would you build a car what yeah. would you do and then, i mean the bronco was it was built here yeah. i mean they literally cut i woke up one morning and there's 20 cut up cars and they had all different frankensteins that they were going to start building from and it was an amazing process to watch yeah. I mean, it's not it's it was past an honor and past that like uh, it was nuts. That was, that was pretty crazy too. So there are two vehicles here that I, I kind of want to dig deep into. And uh, the bigger one of the two is there's an electric yep. rock crawler out here. Go into like why, when, how, <laughs> like so, what was the impetus here? Well, I completely separate from my total geeking out on the technology of making EV work. Mm -hmm. I, um, I'm 
think about the our culture, and this goes a whole different path, but like the concept of it's going to be illegal to have a generator in California in a year, right? Mm -hmm. That's at least what they're talking about. So you can't have a generator. And then it's going to be harder and harder to buy gas cars. And then it's going to be, okay, now I have to have a, an EV truck that can pull my trailer, that can take my EV toys. Mm -hmm. And then I have to be able to charge. I don't need, this is dumb. Yeah. And the, the, the whole, it's like, it'd be like saying we're going to stop having horses to equestrians. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like, it's, it's a thing. So if, if that's the case, we're, we're, and you're not going to stop that momentum in any way, you're never going to get in front of that. Mm -hmm. So let's, we'll, we'll, we'll just join them. And that is, we need to get the technology into the hands of the builders because I still believe that specifically Ultra 4, off-roading in general, but specifically Ultra 4 is like, it's, it's kind of like NHRA back in the day. It's kind of like Harley's. It, it, they were, they're building their own stuff. Like yeah. we're building our own cars. Jason Shear built that car. Yeah. Like handcrafted that car. That's crazy. Right? Um, he knows he knows where every ounce is on that car. That guy, whoa. Being, yeah. being able to, I wanted to get the, the technology in the hands of those guys so they could build the cars. Um, and I had... The car the chassis now will come back to where we're at now. So there was a reason to be doing it, and that was kind of mm -hmm. impetus. And then secondarily, I think the technology is cool. I think that when we get to like hub motors and get to true, mm -hmm. true finite control of wheel speed, like mm -hmm. at different group corners, we'll the, the things that we will be doing in a vehicle will be just as mind numbing as it is today when we go into the stuff. That you're, it's just going to next level it. Yeah, because I've been in some cool traction control cars. And they are better than just trying to drive around in schools. Yeah. You know, if you can keep every, if every time that you, every time that you make a chirp, that's you're losing traction. Right. You just turn that traction into sound. Right. So let's let let. I mean, you can get to the we'll get to the point of met, like knowing, like just be, almost like a fuse. We'll know exactly how much more torque we can give this tire before mm. we do. It's too much, and we'll go to the driving would be nuts. Um, That chassis specifically was, you know, Sabine Schmidt is. Yes. Sabine Schmidt's driven that car. That's, wow. That car, that chassis has been around test gear, uh, Top Gear's test track in England. Chris Harris driving it. Wow. Um, they came and Before shot. converting it or? Before, yeah. Okay. It was him. So this also converges back to the other story. One of the passion projects for a lady named Kim Gendron and uh, at, uh, at Chrysler, Chrysler then, then Mopar, she was the one that basically made the spec and well, she got Chrysler. We made a spec engine class. We, so we basically made six of those chassis and that's how I got other people involved in the, in the sport because I could put them into cars that were effectively, you know, a 700 horsepower chassis and a 300 horsepower car. It was a five, seven Jeep Grand Cherokee out of the box. You know what I mean? We were, they were, well, Paul was using us. Remember they were trying to turn, I'm not sure how much you're into motorsport, but they're trying to turn the, um, uh, make their pack, make their motor packages be available, like with open, with an mm -hmm. open computer. Like Chevy, Chevy's computer system is easy to easy to hack, so everybody yep. does it. Mopars has been locked, so they were going to use us as their guinea pig. guinea pigs of launching this that package. You get a motor and a computer, go do the things. Funny story is that they didn't set the computer right, and they put the fuel cutoff. Um, they did not raise the fuel cutoff when they raised the spark cutoff. 
for because it made it a race motor. So they yeah. re, re, recalibrated. It had two two different speed limiters, and they shut down fuel about fifty RPM short of wide open for spark. Right. So you know what happens. Yeah. And we couldn't. But we couldn't figure it out. We couldn't figure it out. And we had we raced like we raced for a year and a half, and we were a motor go, and then two motors were going. It's like, and then it's like. How come only the fastest guys are blowing motors? Like only the fast guys. Yeah. Everybody else is fine, but a fast guy gets in the car and it blows the motor immediately. And and we we're and then we figured it out. Chrysler didn't believe us, and the 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 people that did the computers they wouldn't. They're like, it's not that. No, you're, couldn't you're, be. You're you you need to go to dash. I think we had dash six. Is that this is that stock Jeep Cherokee motor, right? We had dash six fuel lines. They wanted us to go to Dash 8 supply lines for the fuel. I'm like, it's like 1,400 horsepower fuel line we're talking. Like, it's the amount of... Yeah. We're not... <laughs> not quite. Yeah. But okay, here we go. We'll do it. And we changed all that stuff. And then we figured it. And we took the car out there. And um, we went to the engineer place. And I'm like, I'm telling you, it's this, this, it's exactly this. No, it's not that. I'm going to blow this motor up right now. Yeah. I'm going to do this for you. But... And then we did. Wow. Yeah. School hard knocks. Crazy stuff. I'm sorry that that can't be used right there. Uh, but that chassis. Right. So that cha- I I ended up going to a six four Hemi. I retired it from the spec class. It became my own personal rock crawler. It meant something to me. Jesse Combs was is the fastest woman on the planet, at least technically by Guinness books. Stuff. Okay. She died doing like 500 miles an hour, setting his land speed record. And she raced with us. Good friend of mine. Um, and that's why I kept the chassis. Then when I blew the motor up again in a 6.4 Hemi, I blew it up trying to drive upside down rock crawling because yeah. that's what we do. And I was like, that's it. I'm just going to put the EB in. I'm going to come back and drive the line that I couldn't drive because I couldn't stay. I couldn't drive. I'm now still driving, but I blew the motor up. Yeah. So I'm going to go back and drive that same line with an EV car because I know I can drive upside down. And it's the only reason I started it. And then it became the spec class. I found started working with Hypercraft. And we... Um, we figured out that it was going to be not much more expensive to build 10 instead of building one. <laughs> so yeah. we built 10. And um, along the way, I, I just actually in the last two months, I've divested like all that, basically all the IP, all the, everything that's gone into that, we are putting into uh, um, a trust in a nonprofit in Texas for a gentleman that passed away last year. And he was one of the original 10 guys that were going to get motors. So now they're going to run that run the EV classes its own standalone foundation, um, and uh, the so what we're doing they're, they're we're not we're not doing swap swap batteries. The car can probably go about forty five miles right now at race pace. So we're going to start building courses. The, the first two of those cars will be done uh, in February for this year for this year's race January for this year's race um, coming up, and um, then. And starting in the end of next year, we start we'll start giving them like thirty mile races, yeah. and then just give them a shorter, easier course that's gonna still challenge the vehicle, but not not look. We'll let them go racing, and then ideally the intent is that as battery technology increases and we can get fit more power into a smaller place. Then, so what are the specs on it? What's battery size first? It's uh it's forty kilowatt hours of um it's eight hundred. 800 nominal volts it's like 792 something like that um it's so it should charge pretty quickly it does charge pretty quickly yep um 
it all it's all liquid cooled it can handle it can handle the both a quick charge and a quick discharge mm. um we've been the, just getting into now to the fine tuning of the the um calibration where we're uh getting you know just uh there's still like kind of like an over an overrun situation happening not bad overrun, like battery overrun but like yeah, it takes 152 foot pounds of torque to get over this rock, right? Well, it gets to the 152, and you you would normally feel it. You feel it. You lift off the throttle, mm -hmm. and with the a gas motor, you're you're immediately chopping the throttle. But you don't. There's a there's just an overrun kind of yeah. thing, and all of a it's just a little whoop, and you go a little farther. And in rock crawling, you don't want that. You're right. really technical. So getting yeah. it. I was talking to Brian about that, and he he said the exact same thing. Yeah. And so. I noticed riding with him today, like it still has a, a drivetrain in it that is kind of janky. Yeah, yeah. No, that's awesome. So that my from my point of view, I literally I took everything out that was gas gas burning mm -hmm. and bolted an EV. No change. That is still the original axle housings. Okay, that's everything. It's a it's a five dollar car. Yeah, right. It's, it means a lot to me because of the history of it. But it, it's there was no the parts in it are fifteen years old. Yeah. Right. And we've we've destroyed the Atlas now twice. We've we've made up that adapter. The the whole thing it was meant to be a test mule to get to a calibration point where we could actually give people power. We've we've made sparks with it twice. So it's yeah. I wanted we needed to sort out those things and I'd rather be dealing with a car that didn't matter to anybody than trying to send these things out. That would have yeah. been disastrous. So it's got one electric motor up one front. electric motor. And bolted to the original. Bolted to the it's, so it's so the the Atlas transfer case right. Mm -hmm. the, the transfer case is still in the exact same mounting position in the mm -hmm. same cradle that it was when it was. So gas. you just kind of built the EV tech to fit. Correct. Awesome. Yeah. So and, and reality was it was it's so much smaller that everything became easy. Yeah. It's four hundred pounds lighter than when it was gas. That's crazy. I mean, it has another range. I could do. I mean, if I. Apples to apples, I could drive 270 miles on that's fuel consumption that I could carry. I can do 40 now, but I'm 400 pounds lighter. Um, so, it, and the, what's really nuts is you felt it, it's not a very, like all other cars, you felt the plushness of suspension. Yeah. I can't even get, so we had to build that car with bigger springs because it weighed so much back then. Mm -hmm. Now I can't get light enough springs in that size shock yeah. to even get the car to be soft. And and at this point it's just like okay it's it's just a skateboard yeah stop trying to chase that because I'm gonna as soon as as soon as um, we get that done that I'm just gonna take that that drivetrain and put it into the my my trail bomber yeah and they start really rocking home so what you said the impetus really was seeing the writing on the wall seeing mm -hmm. how California's heading and things like that but what, are there added benefits other than it being wider to you that you see you were talking about going to hub motors in the yep. future yep this obviously is not that this is clearly gen zero uh but yeah, this is just exactly this is just the starting point this is yeah. um i honestly i do not believe for for i don't think that a full ev car and this is rough to say i don't think a full ev car is going to be able to compete for endurance off-road racing i just don't see that viable unless they get to either significant battery improvement like significant yeah 10x of where we're at right now right 
um, a 10x battery improvement that that would do it in a heartbeat. Um, then people would, people would absolutely figure it out. Um, I, what I do think, though, from a technology standpoint, that is intriguing to me, just from a calibration standpoint, and then starting to understand how to control that power and meld it into suspension dynamics and everything. I think the right car is a two-wheel drive gas motor hybrid okay. with a with a generator coming off the T case, the front drive of the T case, yeah. and, a, and 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 a motor or two in the front, um, pulling pulling the car. But I mean, just really simple calcs. Whenever the rear ends turning faster than the car is moving then give me more front yeah and that's all you need to know just start there yeah and your car will keep pulling until it doesn't need to pull anymore because once you get to doing 90 across the desert the front's not doing anything but slowing you down yeah so um that's the, that's the to me that's the crossover that i'm excited about i don't i don't think full ev is going to get well the short like rock crawling performance absolutely it'll be there now it's better right. but uh i just don't see how the endurance part without the battery it's just rough and like you said once you kind of sort out that overrun issue you think it'll be a, a, a stout rock crawler that's able to compete right so i i truly believe so we just got it back together right now mm -hmm. where my mindset is at and where i believe that is so that green car is the car that won the first king of the Amish, mm -hmm. right he did it in three hours and five minutes in 2007 i know the obviously know the course the course hasn't changed i want to drive the spec car faster than john did it in the spec car but i want to do it in ev car yeah. and i think that car can do it right now i believe that in the current in literally as bad as that chassis is and as all the things with everything going bang bang it's still a better car than that is to drive faster than right now yeah. and i think i can and i think it has just enough battery to get to 28.4 miles and to me at that point you've Okay, this works. You, yeah. We've now we've, here, we've cleared a hurdle. Yeah, this can certainly proof of concept. Now, smart people go do the things. Yeah, go do things better than we're doing here, and that's all can everybody do in the first place is just let other people start going. Yeah. So, and then you've got a another project car here that uh, you took us around in first thing this morning, the Centurion. Uh, walk me through what. What the hell is that thing? <laughs> in the late in the mid eighties, you had the two door Bronco, mm -hmm. OJ Bronco, right? And there was Suburban was killing it, but the Suburban was more like a two wheel drive ish kind of thing, right? Well, they wanted to do a bigger four a four door uh, SUV for Ford, so they what they did is they launched um, they had a dealership cut an F two fifty in half, take the chassis from the F two fifty, cut the F cab off put it on and glue it literally and it was the worst job it was bad mm -hmm. underneath oh man but they put it together and they sold it from dealerships and like the target audience was like Shaq yeah. like Shaq was their guy right and he was just you know seven foot tall getting into it driving his car yeah. that was the thing the one that we got the one this car that when it was stock which is how I got it I got a completely bone stock it was an IDI diesel 7.3 on Dana 60s front and rear, leaf sprung on 35s. It was taller than it, it sits now. It was a little bit taller than the brown truck. Yeah. And it uh, it was a fucking shit house, man. They took a piece of four by eight flat steel and just laid it into the bed and tacked a few beads around the outside and called it the bed of the truck, put carpet over it. Yeah. Um, there's pl there was plywood in the ceiling to like make up for the body gaps and everything. There is 
spots where they welded and you could see where they just they, they, they ran the wire about a foot and a half and went dink and just kept on going it's american ingenuity and it's been <laughs> but so there's there's a couple things that were going for me on this on this one is that when they did that half the people got a truck with an f-250 frame and half the people got frames of trucks that were put together that got and they look they you can tell in the vin numbers like literally half like there's the good there's the good ones and the bad ones mm -hmm. And I think I also think the de uh, the the good frames got or the big the full frames got uh, diesel. So now I have a non-smog or smog exempt diesel titled IDI diesel in California, which is not diesel anymore. I understand, which is no reason that gets burned. But. <laughs> so uh, I noticed looking up underneath it, King shocks with massive remote reservoirs. Like yeah. uh, you've done some serious upgrades to it over the years I, and we did it all at once we yeah. i took it we stripped it down and we, that was the truck i wanted to build i wanted to build that was and i've got i'm fortunate to have some some friends that know really how to fabricate well and yeah. they they like the design ideas too and the, but this yeah it's a, it's a trophy truck essentially yeah um then it's just fun we took us four and a half four and a half years to build and um we finished it last april and yeah. it literally on the Tuesday morning, we went to Dino. We took it off Dino and we drove it to Cabo and Dirt. What did it Dino? It's about six forty-five on pump gas. Okay. It, it so that auto tunes from eighty-seven to one twelve. It'll it's got uh, two two different banks of O two sensors and it's reading how it's and it will change the tune on the fly. Okay. So it's on pump gas. It's running on ninety-one. Yeah, about that. Yeah. If we dumped race gas into it. It'd, theoretically be a 700 or something it was a 725 motor when it was in my race car and it was running because that's his old race motor yeah so what kind of speeds were we doing out there this morning we had 80 85 i think and a freaking f250 <laughs> like in two foot whoops yeah <laughs> uh that uh, the banked turns out there we went out there in the can-am when it my, i froze my hands uh and that that was fun Clearly, I was not going as fast as you, but that was fun just doing it in that. And so when I saw you taking the same line, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> that that wash scares the crap out of me because it's blind. And, but yeah. with nobody being out here today, it's a, a lot of fun. And that car is just, that car balance, is balanced. And you, could just, you you turn it so much with the throttle. Like, like, you, like you're riding a quad. You're riding right. a 142-inch <laughs> wheelbase quad. And it's just, I want to turn to the left. Right. Yeah, and you just you just the whole thing is just steering with the throttle. Been doing this 18, 19 years, constantly improving, right? Always trying to figure. Oh no, I've I've regressed a few times, <laughs> but I'm, you know I'm trying. I mean, yeah, it's the idea. What What's the next big thing? I, I know you're working on EV tech, but oh, I'm, hey. I'll tell you, um, I'm form. We're we are literally doing it now. We're forming professional off road. Yeah. Um, every every professional series, mo every professional motorsport series, which there's six of them, are all nonprofits, 501c6, charter based nonprofits. Um, and we are part of one of those and being sanctioned by USAC, and we're going to create our own charter based series. We're going to start aggregating our content um, and stop giving it away. Yeah. Um, and figure out a way to turn this into a business instead of a hobby. And so, race week yeah. is coming up in what a month? What are the details there? Uh, yeah, uh, 
details for race week well that's too much there's three there's basically three mm -hmm. weekends of racing three three completely different things that we open up with bikes on the first weekend and the second weekend we have desert trucks are here um anywhere from class 11 to trophy trucks and then then on the and when those guys go home then on that monday we spend a week doing rock stuff yeah. and ended up with uh, the the 4400 race the unlimited race and you'll have hundreds of thousands of people in and out and it'll be 80,000 80,000 it's 80 and it's a real 80 yeah but it's not a it's not a hundred it's just not <laughs> and just a sea of rvs and people a just, sea of rvs it's yeah. it is what's amazing is um i, I mean you are, have you been around the offer i don't actually don't even know mm -hmm. what, what, what group you're from so i don't know so, what, what your perspective is my knowledge of off-road racing comes from bryant blakemore and oh, okay. i've interviewed him a couple times and just knowing his passion and trying to start something up in texas mm -hmm. uh, with torah and Tequachi and all that fun stuff so yeah um, that, that really is my background i learned a lot from him year one interview year two interview uh we got a little more technical but yeah mm -hmm. that's kind of where right on well um then but you get that the, what makes it better is the culture it's the people yeah it comes full circle all the way back the whether it's blind break more in texas or farmer in china or uh igor ivor whatever his name was in croatia it's there there is a there's a some sort of bond and 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 the, that pull for the common good yeah. that is um it's still very very strong in the, in this group and i believe that's 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 why the events but when we when there's all these people here it's just a different it's a different vibe it's not like you know you go to a good party and there's 10 people and there's mm. a bad party with 12 people it's just the wrong two people showed up right but it could be a thousand people and it could be great yeah. right it just seems like we don't there's not a lot of the bad apples it kind of weeds itself out there's a there's just there's a quote here quote for you good roads bring bad people bad roads bring good people very apt so well thank you very much cheers to you man yes thank you so much for coming oh my goodness like talk about just wildest dreams that is exactly what this week's episode was the entire experience i am so grateful to have found myself out in johnson valley a guest of dave cole himself uh, to really walk through the history of the event and some of the vehicles out there. There is absolutely more coming from me. You can actually go read uh, some of my articles at topspeed.com where some of my written stuff will be coming out. Again, you, if you're listening to this, go check out the YouTube video of this because I will put in some video excerpts uh, from my time experiencing some of these wild and crazy vehicles out there at King of the Hammers, uh, going up Chocolate Thunder and many of the other obstacles out there in Johnson Valley, California. That is it for me here this time. Uh, welcome to the new year. Uh, go check us out, gtgarashtalk.com. But as for me, until next time, bye.